Hey everyone, welcome to Age Group to Pro Triathlon Podcast. I'm Kaylee, the pro. And I'm Brian, the age grouper. Our mission is to help people go from confused to confident in their first few triathlons. So let's get started on today's podcast. So today we'll start off with our week in review so far. Good thing we talked about the 30 minute rule last week because we've had quite the challenging week as you get back into your upswing here and your build to 70.3 Chattanooga. You've dealt with some sickness, not feeling the best, and I'm coming into my last build week as I gear up to race the Texas Multi-Sport Festival, which will be five races in five days out near Dallas, Texas. I mean, I feel like we've both had our challenges this week, a little hiccups here and there with some some illnesses, which is kind of a a whole topic in itself for a podcast, but how do you train through sickness? How do you know when, when to push and and when to pull back? Because when did you start feeling a bit off? Yeah. So I, I, it's kind of hard to decide when you should be pushing through the sickness or, or taking a little bit of a step back. But for me, I, I started feeling a little just like congested on Wednesday morning uh, had a huge bike the day before. So, I mean, it's Georgia springtime, so it's extremely polleny out right now. So I kind of chalked it up to probably allergies. And I still think that's probably what it was, but just pretty extreme allergies. And I'm not used to allergies. So maybe I'm just a little baby about it, but I woke up feeling terrible Wednesday morning, but I'm a little nasally now still. So sorry about that, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, if it's allergies, I think you kind of just feel bad, but my performance was still there. Um, well, I think you're underselling it because the first day there was blood running out of your ear. I guess that's true. There, there was an ear infection scare. I did go see a doctor about that. And there, right, there were allergies, yeah. there was coughing, there was... It, it, it wasn't very obviously allergies. And the point that I'm driving to is I think in the immediate short term, what you did was hit your workouts anyway to see how the engine was performing, right? Yeah, that's true. It was, I guess I, I'm i the kind of person to test myself out first before I, I make a decision to take a step back from training, even if I feel terrible. I mean, I had a, a workout on Wednesday morning on the track, so I knew it was going to be a big one. But I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I guess for me, I'm going to just go out and do it. I still hit my numbers, even though I own the first one. I thought there was no way I was going to make it through six sets of it. So um, there's some really obvious indicators like heart rate. Uh, RPE, which is uh, how you rate your perceived exertion, rated perceived exertion. And in the very short term when dealing with sickness, it's easy to be able to get yourself to the workout, test your body anyway. And if a lot of those things seem off, then you know maybe you need to dial back the intensity. Yeah. Whereas you showed up to the track, we always do an early track workout Wednesday mornings because we have a very long day with, with work and school that day. So we were up at 545. You felt absolutely terrible. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea how I got myself out the door, but <laughs> yeah, you were the late one for once. I, I beat you to the track. <laughs> that never happens, but it happened. It did. It did. Yeah. And it, it turned out that your engine was still performing. You still hit your numbers. 
still got through the swim. So I think the point of sharing this is in the very short term, you can use a workout, a scheduled workout to test the engine, right? To see, is it allergies? Is it sickness? Do I need to actually dial back before just scrapping the workout altogether? Yeah, I think it's, it's a really good way to do it, especially if you aren't sure if it's how bad you're sick. I think you might as well do the workout, at least convince yourself to to do one rep. I mean, that's kind of how I approached it. I I convinced myself, okay, you can do four out of six. So I went into it do in with the mindset that I was only going to do four out of six. But then I got to the fourth one and was like, you know, I think I can do a fifth. And then I got to the sixth one and was like, okay, you can finish this out. And then afterwards, I made sure, like you said, to go look at my heart rate. And surprisingly, it was pretty normal for where I usually am. So I kind of assumed, okay, let's just keep moving through uh, the week. And I did the swim and I hit every workout after that. So um, I did fail today's workout at the end. But whether that's from sickness or from uh, new zones, we'll we'll, we'll see. (laughs) Fail is a strong word, too. So (laughs) I wouldn't take that at face value, she hit most of her numbers. But I I think that I think we covered the sickness piece very well. On the flip side, I had quite the stomach bug Thursday. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Lost all bodily fluids and electrolytes through Friday and really just had to dial back the intensity. So knowing like, okay, that's like a super quick thing. Yeah, but it was, it was my, like one night pretty much. Right, but and the workout suffered on Friday, but dialing back the intensity, keeping the aerobic effort, and then making sure to really aggressively refuel, learning to aggressively refuel, I would say, is a skill set. Oh, yeah, as well I, as electrolytes. Electrolytes, uh, that yeah, that's part of refueling. the most important piece with that. And that way I could get back to my workout schedule as, as soon as Saturday, as soon as to, we're recording this today on a Saturday. So, and the workout, I would say I was back at 90%. So yeah, rapid refueling and just taking care of yourself through it and learning to gauge just how sick you really are is truly an art. You eventually got yourself to the doctor yeah, because of the whole bleeding ear this, thing. This is for the <laughs> ear thing. So that we think it's probably just swimmer's ear, got some drops, got it taken care of. So that is no longer a problem. Or not so. even swimmer's ear. Yeah, it was... They, just a sore. Yeah, there was a sore in the ear. She couldn't tell. So we're, we're treating it like swimmer's ear and then kind of just moving forward with that. Right. So again, just instead of prematurely pulling the plug there... But on the flip side, if if you aren't recovering, if you're not coming around, really dialing back the intensity, like Lionel Sanders' recent videos on, on YouTube and letting the body fully come around, it, that way it can heal and recover. Just yeah. knowing when that's the right choice. Yeah, I think because that is important too, that if you really are sick, you you definitely need to take a step back to let the body recover. So um yeah, like you said, learning those gauges and honestly experimenting like we did to kind of see how your heart rate is with a performance while not feeling 100% is kind of a good way for you to learn yourself and your body and where your limits are. Yeah, and shifting gears, we we brought up heart rate 
a few times at this point, heart rate varies so specifically from athlete to athlete. And it can be a more or less reliable metric depending on the athlete. So especially Kaylee as a, as a good example, I would say your heart rate is less predictable and less accurate than the weather when it comes to tracking it, right? Yeah, so it's, it's not the most reliable, but... The question is, how seriously should you really take heart rate, in your opinion? I... Heart rate is definitely taken with a grain of salt because like you're saying, I, I can race at a 190 and I've, according to my watch, brought it up to 200 beats per minute before in races. So, you know, according to your age minus 220, I shouldn't be able to get my heart to that point, but you know, whether the technology is right or not, I can. So I think that you you kind of have to just learn what your normal is, because for me, if I can get it up to 160, 170 in a workout that while not feeling good, that's not necessarily out of norm for me. So if it, if it was going up to 190s and my effort was just like I couldn't complete it, then I would have felt a little more concerned. But yeah, for me, 170s in a workout wasn't crazy. But if you were hitting 170s, you might would feel that's, a little differently. That's toward my upper end. When we're talking about heart rate, there's a number of factors. And, and the first factor, of course, is aerobic fitness. So Kaylee's heart has a huge range when it comes to resting versus the top end in terms of her max heart rate being over 200. So her resting, I think it hits in the high 30s sometimes when you're sleeping. Yeah. But I think definitely, definitely low 40s, whereas mine tends to sit in the low to mid 50s with a less of a top range. So one of the one of the factors is, of course, aerobic fitness. And we've already determined that Kaylee has more of that than I do. Another factor is also the size of your heart. So if your heart is smaller, it can and will beat more times per minute versus someone with a larger heart. So especially male athletes tend to have larger hearts and taller male athletes. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's definitely correlating to body size. To body well. size. Yeah. Have larger hearts. So somebody like a Sam Long, when they're sitting in the 140s, they're probably, they're probably closing in on threshold, especially if you're looking at running numbers. Whereas when I'm sitting in the 140s or if Kaylee's in the yeah, 140s, I can she's just warming get there. up. <laughs> yeah. So heart rate, the, the point that we're driving home here is heart rate is a very personal metric and it's a relationship that you get to know about yourself personally that will develop over time versus going off of what an article says or what the internet says is right or wrong in terms of heart rate. Do you have any advice for newer people who are getting started, who are looking into heart rate for training? Yeah, I think that it's a really good tool to use to learn yourself. Um, like you're saying, it's such a personal metric that you're not going to be able to look online and then see like, what's the perfect zone for, you know, your age or your height or anything like that. Like maybe it gives you a starting point or if there's something of concern, you might, you know, if it's too high, but 
I think you, it's just such a good thing to learn about yourself. So getting anything to be able to measure your heart rate, it's probably something you should invest in early on in um, triathlon, just so that you have that number and you can start learning what, what works for you. So, and don't take that as, as like a, a statement of your fitness either, because if your heart resting heart rate isn't below 150, that doesn't mean, oh, you're not in shape. Or similarly, if you can't hold 160 for uh, at like certain paces, like don't don't let that discourage you. So seasonality will affect it. So now that it's getting hotter in the spring and summer in the United States, our, our heart rates might be five to 10 beats higher on aerobic efforts, whereas it used to be much lower. And then also the sport that you're doing too is very personal to heart rate. It's a lot harder to get your heart rate up in the pool than yeah. it is while running. Yeah. So you will have different max heart rates or threshold heart rates for different sports, depending on how developed you are in the sport. So again, highly personal journey and just Worth the journey though worth the journey to learn worth paying attention to but don't train exclusively off of it i would say the newer you are the more valuable rpe or rated perceived effort of exertion is for the newer athlete because yeah, if definitely. i started running with you when, when i started running with you if i went off of heart rate it was always in the 160s or 170s yeah but i, I wasn't necessarily tired it was just getting in shape yeah so yeah let's dive into some uh, listeners' questions. We received awesome questions. Thank you so much for submitting them. We'll get back to you and, and answer them on this podcast. There's a few topics that we wanted to cover and the questions tie in so well. If you want to leave your Instagram handle, we'll make sure to give you a shout out on Instagram. Otherwise, we'll just use your first name and read the questions. So we'll dive into our first official segment on podcast questions. And we will start with a listener named Tim. So Tim asks you, Kaylee, we may have answered this in the past, which we haven't yet. But I think it's such an important question. How do you manage and balance all the training volume your schooling, social life and relationship, that's me, family, <laughs> we saw them on Easter, etc. I feel like I'm drowning with just training and work. Sadly, I'm missing out on friends and families and their events at the moment. Thanks. Yeah. What, what are your initial thoughts there? I think there's a lot to, to untangle in that question. And I guess to start off, one, I am very lucky that my partner, Brian, is also a crazy triathlete like me. So I am lucky to have him there as a support as well as our time together is riding bikes, running. So I, I, I definitely am lucky to have that. But So rule one, convert <laughs> your partner to a triathlete. Yeah, I, I guess what we heard some good some good advice that any of the the single triathletes out there like you know <laughs> you, mingle while you're getting your bike set up during transitions like you know it makes it makes training a lot better. So there you go. That's that's it. She's taken. So don't mingle with her. But yes, other single triathletes. But besides that, I guess family time and friends. It, it's definitely hard to make that to set that time aside, especially training for three different sports. I, I think it's important to 
kind of when you have a lower volume weekend to try to to fit that time in, though, because, you know, it's definitely important to spend time with family. A great example was over Easter. Uh, that was a down weekend for me. So Brian and I got up, got our bikes in early on Saturday and then drove down to see the family for the weekend and spent the night, had dinner uh, spent Easter lunch with them and then came home and had, or we actually had a long run before Easter lunch. So we still got our long run in and then had lunch and spent some good time with family. So I think. And made it in time home for the swim. Yeah, we, we made it back home. Which is almost a three hour drive. So yeah, it was, yeah. It, it's, it's good to plan it out and to, to set that time aside. Um, and then I think. When you do that, your family gets to see you and they may ask less time of you as because they also will learn how busy your life is, how much you, they see your passion for triathlon. So I think oftentimes people do learn to to understand that. So and context is so important here as the age grouper of the podcast versus the pro. I might give advice here that might actually have one or two listeners quit triathlon for good because the context is so important around triathlon. Something coming in as somebody with ambitions such as myself, it was a very hard pill to swallow that there was no shortcut to building cardiovascular fitness in a swim, bike and run. So no matter how hard you work or how little you work, there's, there's no shortcut. It's going to be a, a five to 10 year journey before you start seeing results. Kaylee came in and has done the hard work for 10 years. It's like the tip of the iceberg versus what's underwater, what you see versus what you don't see. Kaylee's been running on a competitive level and building that aerobic fitness, whereas I was not doing so. So one of the earliest pieces of advice our coach Ryan Bolton gave me is don't sacrifice everything in your life just because you want to be good at triathlon. It's not worth it. And he was a previous Olympian and coaches Olympians now. So to me, I really carried that forward and looked at it so much more of a journey versus chasing a destination. We worked really hard. Kaylee worked really hard to become a professional triathlete. And guess what? When you get your elite status, they don't plant a sponsor tree in your backyard. It's not like sponsors just start sprouting up. It's like, okay, now I'm a pro. Now what? Oh, well now put in even more hours and work even harder to get smashed even harder at races, right? Yeah, to race the best and... And get crushed by them. Yeah. And then what? And then you're a little better. Now you're competing. What's the best case scenario then? Work harder. (laughs) Work more hours. Try to become the best. And there's so many more things in life that you can do that could make you more money, (laughs) live a better balanced life. Like, hey, maybe one sport versus three. So for those people getting into triathlon, get crystal clear on your why, on your mission out of it. And Tim, don't, don't sacrifice your family or your, your friendships and relationships all year round for triathlon as a sport, right? Target one good build for a race and then make sure to balance it out throughout the year. Would you agree? Yeah, I think definitely planning out which race is your target race, um, which doesn't mean you can't do other ones, 
uh, just incorporate those in as more of just a fun race. Um, I know they can be expensive, but maybe just find some local ones that you can travel to day of and then save your bigger ones that you may have to travel far to as like, this is important. I'm going to train for the next few months for this one. I think that if I did have one piece of advice of something you might could try to do is that I plan out my weeks in advance. I, I have a calendar of actual physical pictures of the hours so that I know where I am at different times and then where I can squeeze in my workouts. And another great piece of advice is that slowly building your, your schedule. So if you start adding in extra workouts, so if you're doing two a days, even three a days, it's actually better to put them in on more busy days to keep your easier days easy. So if you have a day that like we have it on Thursdays, we just do a two hour bike and then a lift. That day is an easy day relative for time commitment as well as physical on, oh, on your body. So we keep that day as our easy day. We'll never add to that one. It's just going to always be like a nice little relaxing day. Similarly, Friday is just a swim and a light run. So I think making sure you pick days that is your easy time commitment and on your body days and sticking to those are very important um, to keep going forward. And communicate with your friends and family. So let's just say, because Kaylee's next race is Chattanooga 70.3, she's going to really have to sacrifice, you know, missing potential weddings, missing, you know, friend, friendly gatherings, birthday parties for this build and just communicating and thanking people in your life for that that time that she's selfishly committing because triathlon is a selfish endeavor. It's a selfish sport. It's for ourselves really. And, um, for that build, for that block, really dedicating yourself fully to it. That way you can do it without guilt and then make sure to in, in the recovery time, give some extra time, give some extra love to your friends and family. Yeah. So I think that's a, a good place to end that question. I and, and I think that's that's how we we tend to approach it, especially in our base season in December. We we make the rounds for our family then. <laughs> so next question from Katie. Katie is a NCAA collegiate women's triathlete. So she said, hey, Kaylee, congrats on joining the TTL development team and starting your first year as a pro. She's doing her first 70.3 in June. I wonder if it's Mont Tremblant, right? That one's in June. So she'll have to let us know which one she's doing. She formerly competed uh, collegiately in draft legal sprint racing. Very cool. Where nutrition and fueling wasn't much of a concern. Just curious as what your approach was to race nutrition getting into it. The only thing I've tried so far is Humagels and Element and use those consistently. Thanks, Katie. And coming from a running background you too did not care much about nutrition, yeah. right? I mean, nutrition while training as well as racing is so new to me. I mean, I had never even thought about eating while running before triathlon. So it's definitely something, a great topic to bring up and, and one that is really hard to, to get into. And you have to learn so much about yourself when it comes to, to eating with working out and racing. But what do you mean by learn about yourself when it comes to working on racing? So I think 
everyone's stomach is going to be different levels of sensitive to different things. So I particularly have a sensitive stomach as well as a sensitive palate. <laughs> so I think the combination of those two is not that great, but you're picky. Yeah, I'm picky. So I have tried so many different products, so many different things. Um, I mean, even the texture of certain things, like I just can't get past. So I think going to a cycling, a local cycling store or running store, both of them will have it and just buying one of different brands, or I would say two, get two of different brand gels um, and then just use those and try those in workouts. So when you have a long bike coming up, decide, okay, I'm going to try these out today and take those out for your for your bike and see how your stomach handles them, um, how you perform with it. And then as well as like even doing a little run off might be good to kind of see how it, it settles through a run off the bike. Gets a little uh, shaken up. on the Yeah. Run. Yeah. Cause I have like Gatorade is a great example. I love to drink Gatorade on the bike. It actually sits pretty well on my stomach on the bike, but the moment I try to run afterwards, my stomach feels terrible. So I avoid Gatorade at races, even if I need the calories, because it just, I, I can't run with Gatorade on my stomach. Um, yeah. And so Gatorade doesn't bother me and that's why it's highly personal. That's why I'm sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the point that Kaylee is really driving home is different nutrition works for different people. And then secondly, Katie, make sure to just like you're training for the endurance of the distance, train for the nutrition of the distance. Oh yeah. So our training blocks often look like a 70.3 effort when we're training for 70.3s. So we might have a five, six or seven hour day on Saturdays or Sundays which are the perfect time to train our stomachs for the upcoming effort. So it's, it's almost a, an afterthought come race day. It's, it's easier yeah. on race day to get right than it is on training days. Learning to prep the nutrition on your training days is the best way to train your body for the race days. The second thought I have is the little more scientific side of it. So Katie, when it comes to the, the types of, of simple carbohydrates, which we're basically just eating sugar all day. Uh, when it comes to training, maltodextrin, our bodies will usually be the least sensitive to when it comes to the type of sugar that we're ingesting. So that's why if you heard our last podcast, right, we talked about it on, on the malto mix or not so much. Yeah. I don't know if we've actually brought it up on, okay. on the podcast. Well, Kaylee right? has a reel on her Instagram that shows our little maltodextrin recipe, that's a slower digesting carb. So it's usually really easy on your stomach. For high intensity, the, the fructose blend with the maltodextrin will allow you to digest more grams per hour than just the maltodextrin alone. So depending on how intense the effort is, you want to get your body used to either maltodextrin for maybe steady state and then the maltodextrin fructose blend for punchier, harder interval efforts. And then what I find is oftentimes the glucose is what upsets our stomach while doing hard efforts. Yeah. So even though it's a form of sugar, it tends to upset 
people's stomachs more commonly. So if you look at ingredient levels and it's it's mostly glucose versus a maltodextrin or fructose, I mean, you don't want pure fructose, but a fructose base, yeah, yeah. that's going to really help. And the maltodextrin replenishes carbohydrates more in, in the stomach into the muscles. And the fructose piece actually processes in your liver and is pro- is replenishing yeah, carbs in a different location. Yeah, it's going to be the location. more quick car or the quick glucose to the body. So right. So they they all forms of sugar aren't equal. Learn which product works best for you, and you can even be a little sciency like us and just buy the <laughs> the pure mix. Yeah, and then I know for on a on an actual race day, the things that I have tried. I typically will go with goose because they are the best on my stomach, even though they're the absolute hardest for me to eat. I do not really enjoy eating them, but they have never messed my stomach up. So I find that to be more important when it comes to race day. So I will make sure to have a, I don't know, anywhere from two to three with me on the bike um, for 70.3 distance. And then as well as some calories that are coming from a Martin mix, which is the 320. So I think it's 320 calories. It's a fructose maltodextrin blend and it also has caffeine, which I'm a caffeine addict and have to have caffeine on race day. So I will have that with me on my bike. And then I have found that two goos are best for my run and I will just sip on them. I try to time it. If there is a water aid station coming up, I'll, I'll take a sip of it, grab a sip of water because it's so much easier to go down with water. Um, and nothing is worse than being in the middle of a run. You take a hit of your, your goo, and then the water aid station is two miles away. So then your mouth just feels terrible. So I think it's really good to time your eating your nutrition with the aid stations, especially on the run. Yeah. And, and train with it before you get to race day. Yeah. Make sure you're definitely training and trying out the different products that work best for you. Caffeine's an excellent point that you bring up because caffeine actually blocks, um, I, I believe it's the neuroreceptors in the brain that uh, pick up on fatigue, right? Sleep. So yeah, I mean, I guess sleep fatigue is probably similar. So yeah, I think it's called the androgen receptor, but I shouldn't use words that I'm not positive on. But when those are blocked by the caffeine molecules, you can push harder until your body reaches that that level of fatigue mentally. So having caffeine front loaded into your race and keeping it level throughout is a really big piece to race day, especially for the longer efforts. We'll tend to take a caffeinated goo or gel 10 to 15 minutes before the race start. Yeah, before the swim. That way we have the the caffeine levels elevated in our bodies and caffeine has a half-life of about 40 minutes. So if you get it in four or five hours before the race, it's not going to have much of an effect. Yeah. But taking it beforehand will definitely get you well into the race and, and up and running. Yeah. And, and I think maybe caffeine isn't as important for those who don't have caffeine. I guess it would be another thing that like if you're not a coffee drinker, you don't have caffeine in your life, maybe try caffeine in a workout beforehand because I know it can mess your stomach up if you are not used to it. So learn the amount you're yeah. tolerating. I would argue the opposite in that if you're not a caffeine user, it will have an even better effect for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it could. That's I guess. a lot of the pros taper off of caffeine. 
Oh wow! And then build into it for race day, so they feel more of the effect. But yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's our our full playbook on race day nutrition. Train with it, test it, and and execute. But it'll be a byproduct if you if you train with it. Yeah, and I guess I guess one last little tip, or I guess it'll be a two part. One. I like to have an open goo at my first transition. So as soon as I get out of the water, I have the option to take a sip of it before, like as I'm putting everything on just to kind of get everything going from a swim, because if you're a bad swimmer like me, it can take over 30 minutes in the water. So I think getting the drip going as soon as you can could be a good idea. Um, And then my second recommendation is... I forgot what it was actually. <laughs> I had it and then it just slipped. Wow. Oh, well, we're going one take tonight. So uh, that's, that's live. <laughs> All right. So that's the one and only. Now that's, that's a really good place to put the pin on nutrition, race day nutrition and otherwise. Let's go to the next question. It's from Carrie. Carrie, thanks so much for your question. She would love to hear what a daily and weekly schedule looks like for you between veterinarian school and triathlon training. She's currently trying to find time for her own triathlon training between working full time, military obligations, taking prerequisite courses for a DPT program, which you said was physical therapy, right? Yeah, doctor of physical therapy. Without getting completely burnt out, keyword burnt out. I imagine it must be difficult fitting in all the training required at the pro level and 70.3 distance while in school full time. You inspire me. Thanks in advance. You inspire us, Carrie. Thanks for the question. So first, do you want to point out the article that uh, the Tempo newsletter had on you? Yeah. So there, I, it's, we had an article written by the Tempo, um, great triathlon article, um, news, anything you would like to know. They're great. Um, but they did an article on me and it's literally a day in the life. So it kind of just goes through a day of vet school training, kind of what my life looks like on a one day basis. Um, so yeah, if you want to check that out, I think we have it in my link tree on Instagram. So, um, you can always check that out, but I mean, I have to say that your, your life definitely seems super hectic and crazy and busy. So I know that, it can be hard to kind of put everything in while training for three different sports. Um, I have to say it's, it's hard to give advice on this because for me, it slowly grew to where it is. I definitely started out triathlon with not a lot of high expectations of it. I kind of just wanted to, to kind of complete one at first. So my day was just like a one hour bike, I would run whenever I could and then barely show up to the pool. So I think I started out very minimal hours and then slowly was like, oh, I think I can add an extra 30 minutes here. Or I think I can add an extra run off the bike on this day. So it kind of just built up slowly until I decided to take it more seriously. And then that's when building out a schedule and fitting everything in became more important. Um, I think that similarly, as I said early, for me, building out my week as a visual, it really helps. I've actually considered just taking a picture like Brian sees my schedule all the time. I have like a very color coded list of everything. And I think that can kind of help you see where you can put things in um, and make time for other things. But yeah, I think just the slow build is the best advice I would have and, and just kind of 
tapering it uh, here and there where what that works best for you. Yeah. And like we talked about, I think on the last podcast, being so crystal clear on your desired outcome and then tying that in to your routine is key. So Kaylee's desired outcome is to not only be a pro triathlete, but one of the best pro triathletes over time. So as a result, her schedule is going to look a lot different from us age groupers schedule who might be saying, let me complete my first triathlon. I mean, do you remember when we were laughing? I I mean, we laugh now, but we look back and you were like, oh my God, I trained for 12 hours this week when we started triathlon. Yeah. I mean, 12 hours was, I mean, just going over 10 was huge. Yeah. So it's so important because I think that a lot of the pros highlight all their big weeks and it's like, oh yeah, 30 hours, Jan Ferdino, 45 hours. And it's like, you need to train so much for triathlon. The truth is, if you're not a highly tuned pro, your body can't absorb that much volume anyway. It physically won't recover from it and you'll actually get worse, not better. So my advice to carry would be everybody has a strength and a weakness. If you're struggling on time, think about triathlon as three pillars or four pillars. If you want to include lifting strength, understand your strengths and keep them level, do enough to maintain them. And then use the 80, 20 rule to really apply extra effort into your weaknesses. You could barely run and still be the fastest in in the field. Yeah. But if you had to compromise on your schedule, if you had such a busy schedule like Carrie with all those obligations, you would want to invest more, like you said, in building your bike legs, for example, right? Yeah. I mean, definitely. If you find that you're an amazing runner, (laughs) amazing swimmer, amazing biker, whichever one is like your absolute best, maybe leaning into your weaknesses and spending a little more time there will improve your overall time. I think that also a great idea is if you have a lot of time on weekends, definitely spend those times to build your endurance. And then on your weekdays, just make sure your time is spent really focused in on your workouts. So I think doing a little bit of speed work, which especially with running, even biking, you don't need as much time to work on speed as you do endurance. So I think making sure to kind of just get in a a little bit of focused uh, efforts on the weekdays and then saving the time for endurance stuff on the weekends could really help too. Yeah. And if, you know, if you want us to post Kaylee's school schedule and how she builds it out color coded, we're happy to do that. Build out your own and send it to Kaylee or I or, or both of us. And we could point out maybe where where some of the issues are. Like sometimes you can get so much more benefit from, I mean, we could do some serious damage, some serious work in a 50 minute track session. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, you know, you get that done in 50 minutes and then you're right off to school. So I think that same thing in the pool, knowing when to apply intensity, knowing when to apply aerobic maintenance, and then also knowing like you said, on the weekends, how to build out a really effective training block. So you're still making progress and and getting the volume in the legs because I'm not running any more miles than I was when I was just running. Yeah. But (laughs) Ryan has us running 13 to 17 miles in one session 
Sundays. Yeah, it's definitely... It's much harder. We have two runs in the week where we do hit pretty high miles, and then almost every other run is only two, three, maybe four miles, so... Because that's our strength, so it's, you know, we don't need to really push there. We push on the bike, and we push in the swim, and we at least maintain the run, and we're trending upward, of course, still, so that's that would be my advice in terms of, of managing it. Let's go through your schedule real quick, so... Mondays and not every little detail, but what days are busiest for you for school? Yeah. So I know diving into vet school can, can be a a whole podcast on itself, but on a high level to think about it, vet school is a really cool to me, at least idea of you have anywhere from food animal to your small animal vets to specialists in surgery, neurology, Um, anywhere from working with the government. I mean, veterinarians kind of do everything. So being able to learn everything in four years is almost impossible. So the way vet school works is we have kind of a core curriculum that everyone has to take. And so we have kind of like our core classes, and then we have a bunch of elective options. So I'm lucky right now where we're in a lot of electives, So there's a lot of classes going on that I'm not in versus some that I am in. So I, my schedule is always different. It changes every single week. And the only thing that stays the same is what workouts I'm getting in. So So, that's tricky. So your schedule is literally different every week. And sometimes, even though it's not in your schedule, you have to study yeah, I would say the biggest thing is scheduling scheduling in study time as well. Because that doesn't just happen. Otherwise, you would fail vet school. So it's really just that having that rock that you know what your workouts are for the week. And yeah. then you can manipulate the other stuff around it. And using mornings. To- I mean, using mornings and as little as I like to evenings. Um, but getting up early, especially for swimming, it's always best just to get that get your swim in early in the morning before anything's really going on. So, right. So build into it. Yeah. Lesson one, two, make sure to understand where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, and then keep the others steady while building those and understanding being crystal clear on what you actually want out of triathlon going full circle to Tim's question. It's the journey. If you're not enjoying the week to week, what, what are we doing in the first place, right? So, I mean, what gets us up and excited is a little different. I love racing. I, I mean, I hate the training, <laughs> but I work really hard because the person next to me, I want to make sure that I get the chance to, to break them and, and win in that decisive moment. So that's really what motivates me when it, when it comes to racing. I just love the concept of this huge three sport relay where it's the purest form of athletic ability, swimming, biking, then running and seeing who's the fastest at it. So for me, it's all about the racing. What, what is it about you that gets you so fired up? Is it the lifestyle? Is it the, the racing? Is it I mean, the, I'm kind of the opposite of, the prestige, of Brian. The fame. I, I'm the opposite. I actually really enjoy training. I, I love running. I've learned to absolutely love biking. And 
I am getting in the water and swimming is where I'll put that one. But And you love podcasting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i enjoyed, I guess the lifestyle and the training is just kind of the part that I've really enjoyed and what keeps me moving forward in it. I Racing is actually really stressful to me. Um, I enjoy getting to put my training to the test. And that's kind of how I view races is an opportunity to see where I am and kind of just like what level I really can push myself to. Um, So, yeah, I'm a little I'm not as competitive as Brian. He's definitely he's going to make sure he chases someone down and and breaks them, as he says. But or break. Or, or yeah, I guess there's always that option. But our first YouTube video, I discuss how a lady in a Mercedes pulled over and asked if I, that she needed to call medical attention because <laughs> I was basically crawling my way to the finish line. So, but you finished. So, yeah, we've come a long way. But I, I wanted to point that out because even the reason why we both do the journey is very different. Like I'm, I'm chasing victory and competition and just like that, that pure, I don't even care about the numbers or progress. If I win, I'm just hyped. Like I, I just want to win races. And for you, it's like, yeah, I think if I, if I, if I won a race and then everything else wasn't that good, I I don't know how happy I would be. So, yeah. I mean, you have won races unlike me, so it's, (laughs) (laughs) you, you would know. So yeah, I think that's huge. These questions were so good. Please keep them coming. We'd love to answer anything and everything on people's mind because hopefully we have a little different spin being so close to the beginning of our triathlon journey versus some people who grew up in the sport. Honestly, their answers are better than ours, but ours are different. (laughs) So it's, it's not about better or worse. It's just perspective. And yeah, I mean, if we say things wrong, it's because we probably don't know better because we're, we're just so new in it and we're still learning all the time. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, just to wrap up, let's talk about our our segment that we do in terms of favorites in triathlon and our, our non-sponsored sponsored section in terms of what's helped us at some point in our triathlon journey. Yeah. Last, last week, we talked about shoes and what's fast, what's not. And this week, let's dial in to... I actually have a great one. Yeah, let's... What is it? So... This is a, a recent find for me. Um, it's called Scratch. I, I know Scratch has been around. I've seen it before, but I've never actually tried it. And I know with if you're a USAT member, you get like $20 every six or three months, I think, to the feed. And highly recommend trying it out. Also great idea of getting some different gels if you would like to try them through them. Um, but yeah, so this most recent one, I got the scratch nutrition, it's the recovery mix and I have absolutely loved it. I mean, what flavor? I like the coffee one again, Mm. caffeine, of course, but no, it's good. It is so good. And it mixes so well with water. It has no texture and it's like the perfect level of sweet that as soon as I'm done, like, especially on Wednesday track workouts, it's like, I look forward to drinking it afterwards. So that that's my most recent find that is just it kind of has has changed my nutrition during the week on the go. So, yeah. So speaking of snacks that you incorporate into your day, it's 
the the recovery mix to scratch. Oh, the recovery mix, yes. Right. And so it's, it's, it's after it's, workouts, just so we don't mix it up with the the during workout. Oh yes, yeah. This yeah. is going to be a recovery mix, so it's going to be something I I drink after working out, and I will even add my own protein or it's not my own protein, but some like neutral flavored protein to make it into a protein mix for after the gym as well. Yeah, I agree. It mixes really well with protein powder. It's not like one or the other. A lot of things like you're not going to mix a raspberry flavored pre-workout with chocolate flavored protein, but this coffee mix with the scratch, I'll take a scoop of my chocolate whey protein and I'll mix it. And it's a win-win after a high intensity workout where I know I need to recover and I need that extra protein and the carbs at the same time. So yeah, yeah, I think that's great. So that's one product that Kaylee really likes on the nutrition topic in terms of, you know, the, the biggest game changer for me in nutrition, now that it's getting to be summer, I would say don't shy away from sodium. Yeah. I think sodium gets a bad rap (laughs) in the, the general nutrition world. Yeah. High blood pressure, all these side effects. Heart disease, everything, yeah. On first of all, I don't think any of that's true. But it, it can it does have it is associated with high it can blood, spike pressure. Your blood pressure. Yeah. It can definitely have problems with, with people who already have high blood pressure and Right. But this At, is on an athletic, you're sweating a lot, you're working out a lot basis. I weighed myself before and after today's workout and it was a high intensity bike run, bike run, bike run workout. So it was uh, just on and off the trainer into max effort running back onto the max effort trainer. Even with three bottles, I lost six pounds. So he's a heavy sweater. (laughs) Yes. I sweat a lot, but it's Georgia and it was a stuffy garage ready for the Texas heat. The point is, is in previous years, if I was working out that hard and I compromised on my sodium, it really would have, it would have affected me. Adversely. Yeah. I mean, you've had problems with cramping. Yeah. So, and it's, it's solved upping my sodium in some way, shape or form, both on the prep to a workout where I'm going to sweat a lot and throughout the workout has really helped to neutralize those cramping problems. So some of the solutions I've used for sodium are the the Boa spray. So that's that's one of them. And they have a caffeinated one. So that, that works if you're just looking for a pure sodium play. We use noon tablets like crazy. Yeah. So that has about 300 milligrams. You Sometimes I'll just mix table salt into the mix to add a little extra sodium to the water. I'll so, even just add more salt into some of our meals. And then, yeah, building up to it. Especially in the summertime. Yeah, I salt the heck out of my eggs in the morning. So um, just prepping in that way. But just And they also have um, nutrition that's just higher in sodium. In, in Miami, I specifically chose uh, goose that had higher sodium in it just to make sure I yep. wasn't getting depleted while sweating a lot in the race. So sodium isn't a product in itself. But as we get into the heat, sodium has saved my buns in some serious workouts, including today. I mean, I was buried, but I it wasn't from cramping. It was just at my limits and between the sodium and then also 
being consistent in the weight room has really helped to solve that, that cramping in triathlon. Yeah. If if you're having issues with cramping, it's definitely sodium is something worth looking into Um, as well as other electrolytes, like imbalances can really have impacts on your muscle. So make sure, especially going into the summer, if you are somewhere like Georgia, Florida, and it's hot and humid and you're sweating a lot, make sure you're keeping up with that. Yeah. And the, the forms of electrolytes are sodium and potassium. And then you have Would magnesium, those, the right? Most important, right? And then you have magnesium, yeah. And then you also have calcium, which is an electrolyte as well. It's a form of electrolyte. It's a it's a mineral, but I believe it's classified as an electrolyte. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll we'll check on that, but <laughs> um, making sure that your levels are balanced there. And I've said in the past how if I feel my heart's a bit racy before bed from really high intensity workouts and I take some magnesium, it really helps me to sleep and it helps to um, balance that out. So those those are my favorite products of the week. And once again, yours was the, the, the scratch, scratch recovery, recovery side, drink. coffee flavored. So be, be sure to check that out. That's a great place to end for today's podcast. Actually, real quick, one Actually, it's not. Yeah, one last thing. I know you mentioned earlier a little bit about what you're doing next week, but I just want everyone to hear how crazy it is that you're going to be doing is it five races? Yeah, five races in five days. Five races in five days. So I I just think you should let people know like how crazy this race is because I I I just couldn't do it. So yeah, Texas Multisport Festival, if you're racing it, hit me up. Let me know you'll be down there. Cheer for him because I will not be there. So I'll be totally alone. Um, so yeah, say hi to me, please. And so the the day one, I'll be getting there. I'm doing the open water swim. And then day two is the super sprint triathlon. So that's a really punchy swim, bike, run. All of this is draft legal. And what, what makes it a super sprint? Like, what does that mean? Super sprint. Super sprints are super short. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the sprint distance, which is the next day. So sprint draft legal national championships is on Friday. So that's really my target race being there. Okay. Everything else is really just a sharpener for it. And a sprint distance in triathlon is very commonly half of the Olympic distance. So that's a 750 meter swim. And then that's a 20 K bike. And then it's the 5k run. Okay. So it's short, but it's going to take you at least an hour. And it's where I would recommend most people actually start their triathlon journey doing yeah. a sprint distance. Right. I mean, I, I've never actually done one, but I think <laughs> so, looking back, I should have. So. Yes. So really good place to start. And then you can also learn to race it really fast, which is what I want to do. Um, so a super sprint is just even shorter than that. It's not a regulated distance. I believe in Texas, it's 250 meter swim. So it's like an all, you know, something you might see in super league where it's just all out swim, super short bike, like 5k or less. And then like a 1.2k run. I think it's, it's like literally that short. Wow. So, so, so like, super sprints can kind of vary a little bit, but they're, yeah. they're less than a sprint distance. Yeah. So I was doing like three twenties on the track for my one K repeats. So yeah, the run can be over in like less than four minutes. Wow. Just all, all out full gas red line. Saturday is out of character for me. 
But anytime I get the chance to swim open water, I do. <laughs> I could have done a duathlon, but I did the aqua bike instead. So that'll be a 1500 meter swim and then a 40K bike. I'll bring aero bars, clip-ons, just in case I can use them. I don't think that's draft legal. Okay. And then Sunday is the one I'm the most excited for. So that's a swim bike run on the super sprint distance four times through. So after the run... So after all these races, you're going to... That's one race that has four times through. Right. So after the run, you take out your goggles. I'm going to see if I can keep them. I shouldn't tell my my trade secrets because, you know, so much is on the line. But I'm going to keep them in my jersey, hopefully, so I can, as I finish up the run, go goggles, cap on, and then just dive right back in. Have you ever raced this kind of style before? No, like nobody's raced that style before. <laughs> I mean... The the Super League guys, they have, so. And girls. Guys and girls. Yeah. Maybe you one day, right? No. Never? Never. Okay. I will never Never say this. never. But yeah, that's the one I'm most excited for just because, I mean, it's like the fastest, punchiest racing, but there's a little bit of endurance in there too. So I'm hoping, you know, even fast swimmers, I can wear down on the bike and run and rope them in by the fourth triathlon in the series, so. It's all draft legal. Super excited. And yeah, I'll, I'll post some updates on my, on my Instagram if you follow me there and um, let let everyone know how I do with it. Yeah, that's really cool. And and again, if, if anyone is out there and sees him, please scream for him and yell for him to keep going because do it for me because I will not be there and I'm really sad. So yeah, and we'll be racing St. Anthony's Triathlon together the weekend after. So yeah. I'll fly home and then we'll gear up to head to Florida. And that'll be Kaylee's second professional race. It's a tune-up for Chattanooga. Yeah, it's it's definitely just to kind of get more experience out there because I am by no means an Olympic distance specialist. So Yeah, but super, super cool. Hope to yeah, finally it'll be, meet up with Paula and Eric. Yes, yeah, and the TTL team will be there. So meet be, up with the TTL Devo team, yeah. Yeah. So... On that note, thanks everyone for tuning in. Nothing else, right? No, that was it. I just, okay. people want to no. know. So, Oh, you're right. You're right. Thanks for tuning in to Age Group to Pro Triathlon podcast. Please ask us any questions or feedback that you might have. And again, we're committing to weekly. So we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening in. <sighs> Take it from the top. All right. Tippity top. Tip, tip, tip. Okay. Okay. Black kettle.